I know for me, this time of year can often be so distracting. I can get focused on the gifts that I need to buy, uh, the events that I need to plan or participate in, uh, the phone calls I need to make, or even the fact that I just love Christmas so much that I get caught up in the movies, the music, and of course the snacks. But the reality is, Christmas is a special time of year, and for many of us, it's familiar and warm, and it creates this sense of wonder and awe. Uh, it reminds most of us of good times with family and friends, but there's something so much more precious and important than all the trappings of this season. There is the story of a God who decided to step into our world to offer us something we could never create for ourselves. And for that reason, we have to bring ourselves back to the heart of this season and to what it's really all about. Today, we'll find ourselves in Isaiah 9, 1-7. This is one of the great prophecies that validates Jesus as not only a man, but as God. Let's, let's take a look, starting in verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. I just want to stop here. The point of this is that this future king we're about to read about uh, will offer peace to all people, no matter their race, culture, geographical location, or anything else. Okay, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of, for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Let me stop here uh, just for a moment and explain. There were dark days ahead for God's people when this was written. The Assyrians would actually uh, eventually invade Palestine from the north and devastate them, uh, among other invasions and exiles uh, that were to happen. But there's a glimmer of hope with the reference to the Midians because just like God had defeated the Midianites through Gideon's small army, God was going to deliver God's people again. Uh, let's, let's check out verse 5. Let's carry on. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Sounds ominous, but check this out. Isaiah, the author, just referenced Gideon with a small army. Now listen to what he says next. Verse 6. For to, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on him his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Some people have tried to disprove that this points to Jesus and instead that it suggests, or, or suggests, they suggest rather, that it points to separate kings of Israel since these names are never directly applied to Jesus in the New Testament. Let me be clear, that is simply false because he's clearly talking about one person and there's no one person outside of Jesus that fulfills all of these descriptions. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. Okay, let's keep going. Verse seven, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. 
the zeal of the Lord of hosts, the Yahweh of hosts will do this. This is such an incredible portion of scripture, one that should encourage and frighten us a little bit because it would be a tragedy if we miss out on who this Jesus is and instead exchange him for all the materialism of this season. Listen, I know that I'm preaching to the choir when I'm talking about distractions. As young adults, the opportunities to be, to be distracted are innumerable. There are technological distractions, societal distractions, cultural distractions, not to mention biological distractions. But the problem with distraction is that it not only reduces the amount of time we can spend on something that's worth our time, it actually reduces our capacity to believe in those meaningful things. Let me explain. If you're taking a class, or say you have a project due at work, and you become distracted, you'll not only miss out on the opportunity to spend time completing the thing that you need to be doing, but you'll actually begin to care less and less about that class or project. The same is true with our faith. As we become more and more distracted, it's not like we come back and pick up where we left off. There's actually a degradation in the amount that we care. We actually start off, or we start rather, further behind than where we left off. There was a movie released in 2004 called The Polar Express that captured this idea of becoming distracted. And this whole series is, well, a whole series, there's two, but <laughs> these two sermons that we're going to be sharing uh, in the next two weeks are, we're calling it Christmas at the Movies because we're looking at popular Christmas films and how they connect with our faith. And so the Polar Express, one of the beautiful things about the film is the way it captures the very sense of losing belief and then the beauty of the world becoming re-enchanted. I love that. Let me give you a quick synopsis and yes, spoiler alert, but hey, it was released 16 years ago. So a young boy uh, begins to lose hope that Santa will visit him and questions his prior belief when he learns that the North Pole is uninhabitable and too cold to be a viable place for human life. Then a larger than life train appears in front of his house to take him to the North Pole. It's then that the world becomes magical again. So let's tie that with what we read a few minutes ago. When we gather together as the church, just like this, even though it looks different, and we read words like Isaiah 9, we are participating in a re-enchantment, a reminder that God is up to something, operating in our world in ways that we don't always see. This is the story of Christmas. Isaiah 9 is one of the favorite texts to, to read during Advent because of how beautifully it describes a truth that we now understand even more fully than when the prophecy was given. Remember verse 2? The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. This is a hope we are all clinging to, believing that even in the midst of great evil and despair, there is a light that's broken through and will con only continue to win against the darkness. The beauty of this passage is that what begins as a picture of cosmic victory then shrinks down into something seemingly small and insignificant. Verse 6, to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The, the incarnation, which is a theological word for when God became a man through Jesus, 
is pictured as the breaking of light into darkness and a child who will upend unjust government and bring peace. One of the greatest cultural challenges in, or sorry, the, one of the greatest cultural changes for us today is that we live in a world where the supernatural is no longer assumed. We've lost the sense that there is something happening that we can't always see or touch. Uh, many cultures across history have had some sense, whatever that may have looked like, of the enchantment of the world, of some sort of magic or power operating at the same time as we lived our everyday lives. And this sense is often lost today. I want to leave you with this quote from Raymond Ortland, who says this, Look at Jesus as the wonderful counselor. He has the best ideas and strategies. Let's follow him. As the mighty God, he defeats his enemies easily. Let's hide behind him. As the everlasting father, he loves us endlessly. Let's enjoy him. And as the Prince of Peace, he reconciles us while we are still enemies. Let's welcome his dominion. While the movie The Polar Express re-enchants the world and points and hints towards a deeper meaning to the holiday, it doesn't acknowledge the real power behind the magic. At one point, I love this, a character comments with supposed wisdom by saying, one thing about trains, it doesn't matter where they're going, what matters is deciding to get on. But it does matter which train we climb aboard, which dreams we adhere to, and what we choose to believe in. This passage in Isaiah doesn't just remind us of the ways that God is working at all times or the power of Christ coming to earth. It shows us that there is an answer to a broken world, and that answer is Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that we can look back to thousands of years ago as words were penned on paper that foretold of the coming of your son. God, we pray that in this Christmas season, would you re-enchant us? Would you bring us back to what it is all about? Would you awaken our souls to see you moving, God? Would there be this magic coursing through the veins of what Christmas is? And would you remind us that uh, when you could have sent a conquering king, you sent a baby. God, you sent a child who would speak life into darkness. And I, we just praise you for that, God. You are so good. And God, I pray today for, for those listening to my voice. Would you be with us? Would you draw us closer to you? God, where we're struggling and we don't know where to turn or what to do, God, would you speak through that? Would you give us wisdom? Uh, would you give us hope in the midst of it all? But God, in this season, would we not lose sight of what matters? And God, would we relive that magic of Christmas through the lens of Scripture and the promise of Jesus? We love you, God. Amen. Now we're going to put some uh, questions on the screen for you to discuss.